0: You
1: like fire, boy? I do. You're listening to
0: Your Tables
1: on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 20. All right. With me today, we have a very special guest. It's James Stowe, the creator of Sidekick Quests. James, welcome to your Tables on Fire. All right. Thanks. And it's not even warm. (laughs) Well, we'll try and turn it up a notch. There you go.
1: There you go. That's great.
0: Okay. James, let's kick things off. Take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. I have been a fantasy illustrator for about 20 years. I've worked in about a hundred or so role-playing game publications. I am also a cartoonist. Uh, About five years ago, I started this project, which was kind of a marriage of my love of role-playing games and my love of comics. And it was a way for me to connect with my kids because a lot of my early work is not stuff that I could necessarily show my children. Yet they were (laughs) also very curious about it. But I am an avid gamer. We try to play games as much as possible. What else would you like to know about me? Well, let's talk about your history with gaming. Sure. How long you've been gaming? What kind of games you like? Well, my parents were always card players. I don't know if that's everybody's background. They taught me how to play Pinochle very early because although my dad was an avid card player, my mother was a reluctant card player. So like when I was uh, six or seven years old, she's like, here, I'm teaching you this game so I can bow out and you can start playing. (laughs) Uh, Passing the baton. That's right, exactly. So uh, I always enjoyed games, and I I grew up in a really small town. I, only, I grew up in a town of 900 people. Wow. So there was not a lot to do, but there was always games to play. And ever since, I've always been really interested in game mechanics, and I love to tell stories. So when I discovered role-playing games... I love the idea of being able to tell an improv story that is also a game. I thought that was a a wonderful concept, and I kind of discovered those in high school and never stopped. I decided I wanted to work in that industry, and then I realized that I don't make a lot of money in that industry. (laughs) (laughs) So I I went off and did other things for a while, but I've always done some kind of work in it. I think my first published piece of artwork was in ninety six, so it's been twenty years. So that first RPG in high school was that D D or what were you It was. Although you know, it was just two kids with a D and D book that was my friend's older brother's book. So we had no idea what we were doing. But we love the idea of making characters. Like, we just made characters and we drew them and, you know, we wrote down stats and stuff. I don't think I necessarily played. I didn't really find a good RPG troop until college. And then I just, well, I never looked back. I did. I played everything. You name it. I I tried it. To this day, I still try to seek out really obscure RPGs to play. Hmm. So do you have a favorite RPG that you like to get out on the table? Very recently, there's been this upsurge of narrative-heavy games like Fiasco and Dread, and you know all these games that are like a one-session thing that you're just creating this story with other people. There's a uh, what is it called? Oh, it's Killing Me. I can't remember the name of it because I love it, and we try to play it as much as possible. But it takes <laughs> like forever to play, so the session is pretty long. The oh, it's called The Quiet Year. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it, no, I I track it down. One. It's a PDF. I think you're going to spend like 10 bucks for it. Find it. It's amazing. The whole idea is it is past the apocalypse, whatever the apocalypse was. It doesn't define it. All of the people involved are playing a society, trying to recoup. You have one quiet year to try to build your community back up before something terrible happens. Everybody everybody in the meta sense knows that by the end of the year, something horrible is going to occur. <sighs> but you do your best to play both like scientifically above the community and then inside the community to deal with personal issues it's it's really fantastic yeah it sounds sounds pretty good yeah i just picked up ten candles too i haven't played it yet but i'm very very interested in it tell us about that one i don't know that one so ten candles is dreadish yeah have you ever played dread uh I have, at yeah. dread, fantastic. the mechanic of dread is a chenga tower so the more you pull like if the chenga tower falls you're dead that's it that's dread
0: but it's such a fantastic mechanic,
1: you know, because you, you really feel. Yeah, it. really, is it really? I try to avoid pulling no matter what. Like, I am <laughs> a guy who just, like, nope, nope, I'll let somebody else do that. I'm just going to stay <laughs> in the background and not pull as much and hope the GM doesn't notice me. <laughs> right. I'm that because I got, like, I'm, you know, I'm a big guy. I got big sausage fingers. I lose a dread. I just straight <laughs> up lose. Uh, but 10 candles is the idea of the sun has gone out and there's something in the darkness, Mm. and you play a group of survivors, you have a communal pool of dice, and you put out like 10 tea lights, tea candles. As the game progresses, the candles are slowly extinguished one by one, and the GM gets, uh, he starts with no dice, and you start with all the dice, and slowly that balance shifts to, he gets more dice and you get less dice. And as the game progresses, it gets more and more... Like, it's just... I can't wait to play this thing. It just oh, sounds, sounds great. Uh, like a fantastic concept. Now, that all being said, the game I'm actually developing is for kids. It's light and <laughs> airy and fun. So, not so much dread-inducing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nothing waiting in the darkness. Yeah. That that said, I just killed a character. Oh, so, really? Yes, I did. And I kind of agonized over whether or not I should do it, but... Uh, uh, I'd happen anyway. So think back to your gaming experience,
0: as long as we're on that topic. And sure. can you think of a just a
1: really terrible experience you had playing a game? I am usually the GM. So I'm the, the guy who runs a game. So for me, the only bad experience I ever have is if I can tell that people aren't enjoying what the story I'm telling or the story they're communally being a part of. I don't think I've ever really... I've I've been very lucky that I play with great troops. I play with great people. I I tend to find people that I like, and then I introduce role playing games to them instead of the other way around. <laughs> so wives, great. I'm so I'm generally playing with my friends. I think for me it's more about building a story. So if the story like falls flat, that's where. I'm having a bad time, but my players might not. They might ever really enjoy killing that one thing, but I was like, "Oh, but the story didn't go where I wanted it to." Or and I tend to be fairly obsessive. I'm running a Mutants and Masterminds 3rd edition game right now. Because I really like superheroes and I want to tell a superhero story, but I'm an artist. So I am illustrating like comic book covers and character bios. So I'm doing a ton of work and I release it as they play on a blog. So all this artwork gets released in play. Oh, wow. But if they don't go the direction I expect them to go, I have prepared <laughs> hours worth of artwork that never <laughs> gets seen. Uh, so I, I then need to go the next week and try to get them to meet these people so they can just see the artwork that I made, you know? <laughs> Right. So for me, right. that's, that's a selfish angle, but.
0: <laughs> well, that works. Yeah. That, that makes me feel guilty about the times I've complained about, you know, I put, I spent a half an hour designing this, this campaign. And you didn't even go down the alley. What happened?
1: Right. Okay. Oh no. I actually have the best story for that. Okay. I'm ready for it. I was running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And there was a legendary bridge high on a gorge between two warring nations. And it was built from the bones of dragons. And there was like, I wrote literally three pages of history about this bridge. Like it was an amazing set piece and my players get to the bridge and I'm like, okay. And I start into my soliloquy about the bridge and they're like, we cross it. I'm like, No, wait! (laughs) This is an important bridge! So, And they're like, nope, we cross it. I'm like, no! And then they began to think that there was an encounter I was trying to spring on them on the bridge. So they're like, we cross it faster. I'm like, no, 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 no! I'm just trying to tell you the cool history about this bridge. You don't understand what I did. And uh, that became a running joke. Uh, with the group for a long time. I, I became the guy who writes paragraphs upon paragraphs of bridge history. <laughs> yeah, I learned my lesson there. Now I just draw lots of stuff.
0: <laughs> right. I'm sure that's a lot easier. Right, right. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. So how did you make the evolution from game player to game designer?
1: Well, it, it's funny that you should bring that up because... When my son was six, going on seven, he knew what I did for a living, and has always been very interested in games, and he's a little geek, like, I've done so much damage to that boy. Uh, (laughs) And he wanted to play Dungeons & Dragons. He'd heard about it, he really wanted to play it, and he wanted to do it for his birthday. He wanted to invite five other kids, five other six-year-old, seven-year-old children over to the house and to play an actual game of Dungeons and Dragons. That was his birthday party, and I'm <laughs> like, "What? How in the world am I going to do that?" And right. I've, you know, I've been a GM for a long time, but how do I teach, let alone run Dungeons and Dragons for six-year-olds? How do I do it? So I spent like months thinking about it. And I made these character sheets and rules, and I pared down everything I didn't think kids ever needed to know. And I made these really simple character sheets. They were bright and colorful, and they were mostly character art with just a little bit of information. But it was still Dungeons & Dragons. It, it still had all the core mechanics and I ran it for these kids, and they loved it, and we had the best time, and we played for, like, five hours. And I don't know if you have a lot of experience with six-year-olds, but getting them to do anything (laughs) for five hours is a a feat, beyond feats. (laughs) I had the best time. I then released them online. I was like, this is what I did for my kid's birthday party, and it went everywhere. They were all over the place. It was, like... I called it D&D for Dads, and I can't tell you the response I got from it. And I was like, wait, I think I have something. I'm getting older, I'm having kids, I'm a huge geek. There's got to be other people out there that are huge geeks and are having kids and want to play these games with their kids. So that's how I kind of got the idea of it. Now, I have done work in the industry more on the art side than the actual game design side, but, you know, I a lot of my friends are game writers and game designers, so I've been around it. But with this, I wanted to create something that I could make and play with my own kids. And I actually, I use them a lot. I, I ask them what they think would be fun and what wouldn't be fun, and we play test a bunch. As a matter of fact, there's some families that all... You know, we're all friends together, and they, we all have kids are up around the same age, and this group of kids are like my little main playtest group. <laughs> uh, it's great, actually. It's really fantastic. And I've had a great time. I don't know if I would—I wouldn't call myself necessarily a dedicated game designer. Like, I wouldn't—like, if I put a resume together, that would be really low down on the list. But for me, this is more like a passion project. I didn't want to be a game designer as much as I wanted to make this game. And thank goodness I've, I've been able to do it so far. <laughs> right. It's been pretty yeah.
0: successful. So that's- uh,
1: it, You know, it's getting out there. We I, Actually, uh, if I can say it, I, we just funded. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. We I just found out like an hour or so ago, two hours ago, uh, we had a miraculous $1,000 backer Oh really? Pushed us over the, the edge. Earth. Yeah, yeah. One of I, I didn't even know they existed. <laughs> the unicorns. That's right. I, I we uh we got one of the. It was awesome. So That's yeah, awesome. we were celebrating this afternoon. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank well, you very so much. So, how did what was it? D and D for dads.
0: Yep. How did that how, evolve into sidekick quests?
1: Well, I was looking for a comic project primarily, and. I thought it was a good idea, you know, to tell a role-playing game from a kid's perspective. Because for me, that's my comfort zone. I'm an artist. I I, I can draw and tell stories. So if I started it that way, maybe it would force me to make the game that I really want to make. So that's what I did. I started coming up with concepts for the setting, all on the idea that I'm making a comic, and then build the role-playing game from there. Uh, About four years ago, I released the comic, and when I released the comic, I also released some basic rules. It's all print-to-play PDF, and I just got it out there. And I've been building a pretty good audience. I got a nice core of followers that really like both the game and the comic. I mean, I've been working on the comic now for four years straight, so... And I release it three times. As a matter of fact, i got to release one tomorrow. And I'm, thanks to Kickstarter, completely out of my buffer. Like, I have no <laughs> saved <laughs> comics. So, right after this, I have to feverishly make a comic. Right. Yeah, I know how
0: that is, running this podcast. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about starting with D&D, yep. bringing it down to something a six-year-old could play with. Right. And that's the... I, I needed to, to get away from Dungeons & Dragons. But mm-hmm. I wanted to make it invocative of, because I, I wanted it to be an introductory game. I wanted it to be a game that people could play, and all the core concepts are there, so that when you move on to like more popular games like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or Thirteenth Age, any of those fantasy games, mm-hmm. then the kids would already know, like, oh, that's initiative. I know what initiative is. Right. And I know turn sequence, and I understand the idea of modifiers for a 20-side to die. So I wanted to keep all those core pieces in there. Mm -hmm. But once I did that, I was free to do whatever I wanted. So we really stress in Sidekick Quest that you can do anything you want. It's a role-playing game. And kids are very imaginative. So you don't want to tell a kid they can't do something. The whole core mechanic of Sidekick Quest is that the player tells the GM what they want to do, and then the GM asks them if they are clever enough, quick enough, smart enough, or tough enough to do it. And that's it. And each one of those stats has a modifier attached to it. And then they roll a 20-sided die, add their like quick enough number, for example, to it. And then the GM has a ladder of difficulty from effortless to impossible. And inside that ladder are blocks of numbers because I wanted it to be I wanted it to be a game that you could play with a 6-year-old and like a 12-year-old or l- older at the same time but not make it too difficult for a 6-year-old and too easy for a 12-year-old cuz if you've ever played games aimed at 6-year-olds or 8-year-olds they tend to be no fun for somebody who's older right. so I I tried to build difficulty blocks. So if you're doing an easy action, then those numbers are 8, 9, 10, or 11. So if you're older, the GM can say, if you get an 11 or better, you succeeded in this easy quest. But if it's a younger child, then it's only an 8. But the GM says it's easy. So, that's what we focus on. We focus on words and less about, like, hard, crunchy numbers. And then if somebody fails something in Sidekick Quest, we urge the GM to say, well, you didn't succeed in what you wanted to do, but this is what actually happened. Instead of just shutting down kids and saying, no, you didn't do it, moving on. We kind of create a narrative where something unexpected happens. And if that something unexpected is also kind of funny, great. And if it's not, (laughs) then, you know, it usually is with kids. They can turn anything into something funny. And then each of the roles that are associated with the game have a little narrative control power so that players can create things on the map that the GM didn't intend or create a solution to a quest that the GM hadn't prepared in advance or know things about someone that the GM didn't even know existed. It gives them a little bit of power to help influence the story in a kind of controlled way.
0: Hmm.
1: How else have you changed it to work for a younger
0: audience? Like, have you had to evolve themes at all in order to make it more family-friendly?
1: The idea is that they are doing very simple quests. They could be something as simple as picking flowers. But in a magical world, picking flowers might be somewhat hazardous. <laughs> but it's not always, let's go to the dragon's lair, let's steal the dragon's treasure, let's kill the dragon, let's go home. Like, we really impress upon the players that there are other solutions than fighting. As a matter of fact, of the four starting roles, only two of them have any kind of pre-printed actions that do any damage. So we really strive on knowledge is a big key. Everybody has a pre-printed action on their role sheet that says that they know something that somebody else doesn't know. Or making friends with people. It's really about living in this world and telling stories in this world than it is about, you know, grabbing the loot, killing the monster, backstabbing your friends. <laughs> Not that I don't like Munchkin, because I do. <laughs> and also, we f- try, uh, at least I try to focus on humor. I mean, the, our first storyline is called The Secret of the Sewer Wizard. There is definitely some bad odor <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Delightful. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, like you said, you just funded your campaign. We did. Woohoo! Yeah, woo, that's great. You guys have been on for several weeks. We have. We have only
1: nine days left. Yeah, so time to get in on that. That's right. Now's the time. Let's get a, <laughs> a stretch goal. <laughs> that, uh, that's
0: right. Let's start with the question,
1: and I'm really curious, why do a Kickstarter campaign? For me, personally, as a cartoonist, this is a passion project. I've been working on it for four years, and I've gone to a lot of conventions, and I've never had a book to show. I wanted to get a book out. I wanted to see if there was enough interest in the property to take it to that next level. And for me, with Kickstarter, I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to see if I could do it. I had a lot of friends that have run successful Kickstarters. I got a lot of fantastic advice ahead of time. And I tried to run the best campaign I could. And I'll tell you, all the preparation I had beforehand, a week or two in, I'm like, oh, my God, I have forgotten so many things. There were so many things I did not know going in that I wish I had known. Like, I completely revamped my campaign page about two weeks in. Like, it it looks completely different than it started at. And I thought I was doing pretty good at the beginning. (laughs) What spurred that on? I ask for feedback. I've tried to be very open to communication with the backers. I try to do an update like every two or three days, and you know, ultimately, I'm a, I mean, it's Sidekick Quest is me. I write it, I game design it, I draw all the artwork for it. So I'm really committed to it. So running the Kickstarter, I was equally as committed to. I haven't slept much these past few weeks. <laughs> Oh, dear. That's right. I can relax now, though. We're funded. Yeah, you're yeah. there. You're done. Because, yeah, uh, but you know what? Now it all just starts uh, once the campaign's over. Now it's true. Uh, all, all summer I'm going to be making the thing.
0: <laughs> well, so you have nine days to hit Acapulco. You better go now.
1: Uh, yeah, right? Right. I got to go <laughs> on vacation right now. Yes. That's not your chance. So you have a lot of really fun, different reward levels. Can you talk about a few of those? one of the reasons why I wanted to do a Kickstarter is because I wanted to get sidekick quests out there to more than just the core audience that follows the comic and that has played the game. So, of the four types of stretch goals that we did, three of them were just about building more of a fan base. One of the stretch goals, the in-game character rewards, stuff that you could get off loot tables, or uh, stuff that you could spend your experience and in Sidekick Quest experience are gold stars. So stuff you could spend your gold stars on to equip your character with. Those We have several of those, and they get unlocked by following Sidekick Quests on Twitter. So far, we have unlocked two of those goals. We've added over 75. I think we're close to 90 new Twitter followers, which is pretty awesome. Okay, well, what's your handle? Throw it out now. It's SidekickQuests on Twitter. So, twitter.com slash SidekickQuests. And then we did the same thing with the SidekickQuests fan page on Facebook. In that one, it's all encounters, so it's NPCs that you can interact with in the game. And these are all digital rewards. With the book, we are also giving away everything that we've ever released for Sidekick Quests as a PDF. So you're going to have everything you need to play the game, and then you get the book on top of that, which is an adventure for the game, which is great. And then if you shared the, we created a hashtag, which was not actually the best hashtag I could have come up with because it's not an actual word. I thought I was being very clever, but in hindsight, I was like, oh, I wish I had just said like uh, hashtag sidekick quest, but I didn't. I did SKQKS because it's the sidekick quest Kickstarter. I thought I was being super <laughs> clever, but uh, yeah, not so much. But if you, if you shared the campaign using that hashtag, you unlocked New rules. We've already unlocked two of those, too. And the first one we unlocked were a social conflict resolution mechanic. One of the things I really wanted to add to the game, which isn't currently in there right now, is a way to measure social interactions in the same way that you would measure fighting and conflict. Far too often, people don't take the diplomatic route because it's a lot more subjective than it is concrete in way of results. Like, when you hit something, you do a certain number of hit points or heart damage or whatever, and you know the immediate result. Well, I wanted to create a mechanic in Sidekick Quests that gave the players an equal measurable result for taking the peaceful route. So that was the first thing I wanted to unlock, and luckily it unlocked very quickly. <laughs> and then there's the actual money rewards that I wasn't paying attention to up until today when we funded. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot I those? made money. Yeah, them. I want to bring up one thing that I did in this campaign that I had the idea for, and I'm sure somebody else has done it in the past, but I, I'm a cartoonist primarily. And another cartoonist friend of mine His name is Vince Dorse. Last week, released his own Kickstarter. I didn't know he was going to do it. He released it. It's collecting his first book. So, for me, I'm like, oh man, I'm in a Kickstarter. He's doing a Kickstarter. I can't enjoy his Kickstarter because I'm too worried about my own Kickstarter. (laughs) Like, I know if I look at his page and he's making more money than me that day, it's going to raise my anxiety level. So, I'm like, how can I create something So that I can enjoy the fact that my friend is doing a Kickstarter and I want to promote him as much as possible and not worry about the fact that I am also doing a Kickstarter. So I approached him and I asked him would he like to do a crossover so that people who back his Kickstarter and my Kickstarter would get a unique print that no one else would get. So he agreed. He thought that was a good idea. So we did it. And so now I get to promote his Kickstarter and my Kickstarter at the same time and not feel bad about either one of them. (laughs) It's great. So his Kickstarter, if I could, can I plug it? Yeah, please do. Because he's not funded yet and I want him to be funded. His book is called The Untold Tales of Bigfoot. It's an amazing all ages comic, not a game, straight up comic, but it is probably one of the best comics I have ever read. And it's all ages. It's a, the story about a Bigfoot and a lost dog who meets the Bigfoot and become good friends. It's a great book. And he just started his Kickstarter. And if you can give him some support, and you've already given me some support, then you get two limited edition prints that no one else will ever get. Wow. There you go. What was his name again? His name is Vince Dorse. Or Dorsey. I'm not you know, he's an internet friend, so I've never actually pronounced his last name out loud. So if Vince is listening to this and I said his last name wrong, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't call him Vince Dork. Right. It's... No, well, well I'm going to now, from now on. <laughs> uh but I like the idea of that and I, I really I hope that other people do that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's very clever.
1: I think there's a lot of potential for it. Like I said, I know a lot of friends who've done Kickstarters, and I think we all need to support each other. This is my first Kickstarter, so I had, like, nothing to go by other than the word of my friends, uh, <laughs> and they did not, like, they warned me, but until you're actually doing it, it it's, uh, it's something else. It is a complete experience, because literally you, your self-worth almost every single day is like, I only got two backers. I don't know what's happening to me, you know? Like I only made $13 mathematically. That doesn't work. <laughs> We're never going to fund. Yeah. See, uh, this would have been a completely different interview if we still needed to make like 700 bucks. <laughs> right, you would be saw days ago. That's right. I would be a wreck. Instead, <laughs> you
0: you got uh, hey, we just funded. Woohoo right it was good timing i planned that so
1: exactly well thank you thank you for that i appreciate it
0: (laughs) absolutely well you mentioned that you have lots of friends that have done this and they gave you tons of advice
1: share at least one gem with us Uh, advice wise yeah um you know almost everybody really impressed upon me the importance of shipping you need to calculate your shipping in advance because <laughs> apparently almost all of my friends have gotten burned by, sh- by shipping. Oh, wow. So I learned a lot of trade secrets about shipping. And I think <laughs> to the point where I'm offering free domestic shipping in the U.S. So, cause I worked it out in advance. I'm like, okay, this is, this is this much. I'm sure once I actually get into it and I'm ready to mail stuff out, I'll be like, it's how much, I thought I had calculated all this. (laughs) Like, know exactly what you think it's going to cost you. Because that's Mm -hmm. where the hidden thing is. Did you figure out international shipping, or you just focus on domestic? I did uh, figure out, well, at least for a few countries. Basically, I targeted on what I thought would be popular countries. Countries that might get me backers. And then I found the most expensive one of those... And then the least expensive one of those. And I tried to create an average, which might not be the most scientific way to do it, but I thought it was the fairest way. You see that. Well, James,
0: I have to come clean to you. Okay. Um, the, the, the secret behind this show is not the interview, but it's, it's the torture that we inflict upon
1: the interviewees. Oh, I know. I've, I've listened. I'm oh, ready. you're prepared. Oh, I am. Well, I, as much as I, I can be prepared, but I was really excited. I'm like, huh, this is an interesting part. I don't want to reveal it. I want you to reveal it, but it's cool. I love this part of it. Awesome. It's my favorite part as well. If I could figure out how
0: just to do the podcast of just the Game Design Challenge, I <laughs> you would. You should
1: just do the Game Design Challenge podcast. I would absolutely listen to just a Game Design Challenge podcast.
0: Maybe that will be the next version. It'll there you go. It will be a five-minute podcast. You, you pitch your game for a minute. And then, boom, game design challenge. I like it. It'll save me a lot of time, so I like that a lot. <laughs> okay, so you know how this works, but let me just spill it out for anyone who's new. I'm going to give you a theme. You're going to chew it over, think about it, and then pitch back to me how that game would work, what that game is.
1: And el- I'm elevator pitching, right? That's right. Or, or can we talk it out a little bit? Oh,
0: all the better. I, I love talking okay. it out. Good. Okay, so I'm going to pick a random theme And Your theme is Oh, I like this one, this is good Tipped over toy delivery truck A, t- a tip
1: over toy delivery truck A tipped over Oh, a torch. tipped over Oh, because right. I want like a dexterity game
0: Well, you can do You know what?
1: It's, it's your game Yeah <laughs> take, take it how you will Dexterity games are fun, and you know, I develop at least the one game that I I am developing is for kids, so let's stick in the kid realm. Absolutely. A tipped over kid's delivery truck. So the idea is, well... If you're playing with kids, odds are kids want to tip over the delivery truck so that toys fall out right? so they can get them. But then you're teaching kids that whatever falls (laughs) off a truck, you get to keep, which is not a good message (laughs) to send to kids. So what if it was instead, could we maybe... Because you got to think marketing instead of just a toy delivery truck, unless you get like an endorsement deal with a major package store or something, you know? Right. Uh, It could be like Santa's sleigh. Oh, yeah. So, in that case, if you tip over Santa's sleigh and something falls out, it's your job to put it back in. So, I would love the idea of like a lavish, well produced board game with this balance object in the center of it that if things fall out, it's your job as the players is to get that toy, say your elves, you got to get that toy. You got to get it back to Santa because if he doesn't have it, that's one kid who's going to have a terrible Christmas. Right, right. And then you have to get it back into the sleigh and make sure it stays there because it's a balance game. Oh, I like this game a lot, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I so And you'd have to have some random elements to it, too. So... It would have to be a reason why the sleigh would tip to begin with.
0: Well, now, I know you mentioned you have the sleigh in the middle, but wonder if the sleigh was mobile somehow.
1: Oh. And so it was going from house to house delivered oh, presents, that and that's what great. caused the,
0: the tippiness.
1: I like that. If you have to move the balance object along a route or path, that's great. Right. See, we could develop games together. <laughs> yes. And I, I think a game like this would need to require some kind of, like, player-on-player gotcha stuff, because everybody wants to be the best elf, wants to do the best job, so they're all scrambling for the the toys, whatever they are, so there would have to be some card play involving hindering your, your opponents in funny ways. Right. wonder if those cards hindered you in some physical way, like you had to use your offhand. Oh yeah, that's great! Leia, yeah. You had to pick uh, it up have with you your ever played, mouth. What is it? There's a, there's a dexterity game that's based on dungeon crawl. It's called, I want to say maybe Dungeon Slay, but the whole idea is that the board is a dartboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have seen that. Yes, and you have to drop the dice correctly onto the board. But there's so many weird ways. Like, you have to drop it off your nose. You have to drop it off the end of your elbow. You have to drop it off so many... Like, you have to go under the leg, up, over, and onto the board. We could add those kind of elements to it. That would turn the game completely wacky. Because the more that you do weird stuff it would be very hard because it's a balance game. So if you have to drop from like a foot over the sleigh, there's a good chance you're just dropping a ton of stuff out of there. (laughs) You're just knocking the entire sleigh over. That's right. That's great. I love that because then it's (laughs) a, like it's not just a gotcha card and they have to lose some. It's a, it's a challenge. Like you have to do this thing and, and make sure that other, Oh, that's really good. And that's the way that you could collect other toys like if the person puts a toy back but drops three you, if you played the card you get to keep those three mm, yeah right. okay i like this this is a good game i love this challenge. i want to come back just to play this <laughs> challenge over and over again. well just launch a kickstarter, kickstarter turned this challenge into a game
0: yes there you yes, go there you design go design challenge game this is like
1: a social uh, party game right yeah. that's gonna be my first kickstarter project for sure excellent there you go. And, um, any, uh, if you want to just kick back some money to me, that would be great.
0: Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> Clearly there's some royalties involved here. There
1: you go. There you go. Oh my God. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much. This has been great. Oh,
0: it's been a blast having you on best of luck to you for the rest of your campaign or for you your time on the beach,
1: whichever it may be. Oh, I'm I i can not give up now.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Thank you very much.
0: Well that was James Stowe, the creator of Sidekick Quests, currently on Kickstarter. Go check out his project now, but don't wait too long, it's only got a couple days left. You have been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Follow us on Twitter at TableFire, and also check out our website for show notes and a link to James's project. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com You can also connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BoardGameGeek. Check us out on any of those sites and give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Well, until next time, go light it up.